Hey guys, welcome back to the show. My name is Lauren and with me is my producer, Liam. Hello. Now, if you're watching this and you enjoy the show, then please be sure to like, share and subscribe. It really helps us out, especially if you want, if you wanted to, if you felt so inclined to share this video on a different platform uh, besides YouTube, uh, Reddit, I mean, Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, anything really helps. The yeah. uh, YouTube algorithm has not been kind to content like ours lately. Uh, if you also want to support the show, which of course we would always really appreciate, you can head over to blazetv.com slash Lauren if you're on YouTube. The link will be in the description. If, if you subscribe, it's a great way to help us out and also help out a lot of other creators who really care about things like free speech. Um, you get our show if you subscribe. You get Chad Prather, Stephen Crowder, Ali Sucky, Graham Allen, Glenn Beck, just a whole bunch of other content mm -hmm. for you to enjoy. And if you're watching live, another option, if you wanted to help us out, could be to also share a super chat. Uh, we do go through all of those at the end of the show. So about an hour into this stream, we will be going through all of your comments, questions, concerns. I pretty much read everything. Um, please use your discretion, though. Yeah. And uh, also, we, we do do this show as an audio-only podcast. I don't think we've really been promoting too much. No, but but definitely check us out there. That, yeah. that those platforms are currently a lot more friendly to us in terms of cpm and all kinds of things yeah so and just it, you know putting us up in search so if you yeah. want to make sure you get all of our content you can you know follow us on there make sure to leave a review if it's a five star if it's not a five star then why bother who reads reviews really not important um so in this show we have a lot to cover uh first we're going to be talk talking about bianca devins who is that 17 year old girl who was very tragically murdered just recently and i think it's utica uh then we're going to be going over some pc culture in hollywood we've got black ariel black female 007 scarjo coming out against pc culture all of it. Uh, then trans protections. We're going to be talking about Lindsay Shepard getting booted off of Twitter. Planned Parenthood lady getting the boot because men can apparently get pregnant now. And of course, we're going to be finishing off with Michael Malice, an interview with him in studio uh, about 30 minutes into the show. And this obviously... The interview part is pre-recorded, by the way. Yeah, he's um, not just sitting here. Yeah, he's not just sitting right here waiting. Yeah. It's it's always nice when we get in studio guests because not we don't get a lot of visitors up here, mm -hmm. <laughs> so we really appreciate it when we get to see someone in person. All right, and before we get into any of that, first off, your face. Oh, thank you. Let's it's, talk it's, about it's your gorgeous, face, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I I, uh, I had a little bit of an accident. I mean, put me up on full screen there, Finn. So that that's all. My mustache is a little bit more completed now. If yeah. You see for it. anyone who's like listening to this on the audio only, this it's it's a little bit red in the center. Do you want to tell people what happened? Yeah, sure. I I uh, I had a weightlifting accident. And yes. I, uh, after uh, a couple hours of boxing, I I, I did some benching, and uh, at the end of a drop set, I only half racked the bench press, and uh, it gave me a little bit of a kiss. Yes. So, so weights one, Liam zero for now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he wasn't sure at first if he was going to be able to make the show, and I was kind of trying to prepare myself for what would yeah. an hour almost of monologuing be. Thankfully, you are I mean, here. I completed my workout without looking at myself in the mirror, and I was like, I know I'm bleeding, but I don't know how I look. Lovely. So that was, but I was, I wanted to finish the workout, so. Very good. Okay, so first story, it's a heavy one, Bianca Devins. Now, when this story broke, I kind of, I first heard of it on social media, on Twitter. What people were saying, the story that I first heard, and I'm sure if you're watching this, the same thing for you, what was going around was that there was an e-girl or an e-thought, an influencer. Okay, this is what people were saying. Um, had gotten beheaded 
by some crazy stalker fan, some beta orbiter. There were pictures going around of her, and I'm sorry, this is graphic, by the way, um, severed head that had been posted to Discord and Instagram, and uh, the story got huge. And I know it freaked out a lot of people. It freaked myself out as yeah. well. There were a lot of people that I follow um, kind of started sharing their own stories about having to deal with yeah craze fans or stalkers or things like that it is a reality for yeah, especially in today's internet culture where you have like little mini celebrities kind of popping up right mm -hmm. people that aren't like taylor swift that have like actual security yeah so, so it's like you're you're well known enough that people will want to get to you but you're maybe not well known enough where you can actually afford all this security yeah, and stuff like, like that. for someone like like you there's there's hundreds of hours of footage of you up online yeah. that makes someone think that they know you yeah right it's and like it's like i might think i know joe rogan right because i probably watch a thousand hours but, i get that the same way yeah. too like there are beauty influencers for example whose videos i've been watching for literally years now like i mean tati i've been watching all like at least three of her videos a year or sorry a week since i was like 19 or something like that so you do kind of it's this one-sided relationship where yes, you kind yeah. of feel like you know the person and so yeah the narrative that first came out about this awful awful murder um it kind of it really struck a chord with a lot of people uh but unfortunately uh, because this is the internet and things are just going to be made even worse than they are a lot of the times because of people being people. Um, there were people who, when they heard of the story, and again, this is kind of feeding into when she was being called like an e-thought, an e-girl e influencer, uh, people took it upon themselves to explore her entire online history. There were some screenshots of texts that she had sent like two years ago, and keep in mind, this girl was 17 when she was killed, outrageously young. People yes. were sharing screenshots of things she had said when she was 15. And I had people commenting to me when I tweeted about it. They were saying, essentially, look at what a crappy person she was. And there was a lot of like, I'm not saying she deserved to be murdered, but... And then yeah. attack on her character. And it's like, look, if now is the time after someone's like, been murdered a minor brutally for, murdered brutally yeah. murdered yeah. for you to start digging and trying to shame them about stuff that's it's, it's just not okay it's not the right time i don't even know what would inspire a person to do that yeah that's and really not, not to mention these are texts from things she said when she was 15 that i think kind of there were some uh, there was one chat log that made reference to like orbiters and things like that and people were kind of like sad she was a bad person she was exploiting men i was like look she was a 15 year old girl yeah, Everyone, imagine if our histories were on from when that's, we were 15. I mean, that's, I'm so lucky that I was at the, the start of that internet era. Yeah. And none of my internet history None of there. my cringe was but, really immortalized yeah, on the internet yeah. like it is for kids now. Because I think people grow and change yeah. as they get older. Now she doesn't have the opportunity to. No. Which is just the worst thing. Um, but anyway, so what actually kind of I ended up finding out as the story got a little bit older was that a lot of the things that were being said and what kind of sensationalized and really drew people in were just not true. Uh, first off, the guy who killed her apparently wasn't just some crazed stalker fan. Obviously, he was seriously mentally disturbed, but he actually yeah. knew her. They were kind of in a, I guess, a pseudo relationship. He had met her, her, fa her family and her friends. They, they actually knew each other, which I don't, we were talking about this. I don't know if that makes the story 
Oh, probably so less worse, bad or worse like because it's i mean i think it's even more heartbreaking that it would be someone that knew her and that she probably trusted at least to uh, some yeah extent. Then, then if you're if you're the father you're thinking like did i not see the warning signs from this dude or something like that yeah you know, so totally totally heartbreaking yeah um and also i mean concerning her status as an e-girl or influencer she had around two thousand followers on instagram i think her friend's we're saying before this all started, since this has gone viral, this story, she, I think, at last count has over 120,000 yeah. people now following her just because there is that dark kind of curiosity. When the story came out, people were curious. Uh, but I, it's kind of unfair, I think, to say, oh, you were a teenage girl who had an Instagram and you were also on 4chan and stuff. Therefore, you were a micro-influencer, which I think I think that may have been even how Philip DeFranco described her. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, micro-influencer. Yeah, so. Ultimately, you're an e-girl. Like, what makes an e-girl? I think you said internet personality or something like yeah. that. But, it, yeah, it sounds like just someone who had, like, it's not unheard of for some girls that are just regular girls to have, a, like, a thousand friends on Facebook. Yeah, or, or 2,000. Yeah, 2,000. So I'm sure in this day and age, I don't... I, I don't use Instagram really, but I'm sure that that was nothing too crazy, frankly. Yeah, and like, it's kind of it, – it frustrated me when I started learning more about the story because I feel like the way it was initially reported on, people were using the whole idea that she was an e-girl or influencer to almost dehumanize her a little bit. Yeah. Which well, is to me the and the part that she's seventeen and you're going down that route that's it's just that's the mind-boggling thing and I don't know necessarily why that is I guess but it just really bothers me that you think that someone who's who's seventeen somehow deserves or kind of deserves yeah it's like you of, being brutally murdered is not an invitation for people to start critiquing the choices you have made as a seventeen-year-old person going back through your internet history it's just it's just awful um yeah. here's here's what buzzfeed we're gonna go through what buzzfeed uh reported on the incident and by the way this has been in rolling rolling stone by now it's kind of it's been everywhere mm -hmm. um according to them a low-level influencer again what allegedly killed an e-girl and posted photos of her body to instagram okay so they're saying that the um the guy who killed her was a low-level influencer from what i can tell he was also just a person who had apparently everyone now who has an instagram account is a low-level influencer all right um so the way they're spinning it, a low-level Instagram influencer killed a popular e-girl and posted photos of her body on social media sites, police said. Um, some of this is accurate, though. The, the killer, they, they name is right, allegedly killed fellow influencer Bianca Devins, a 17-year-old from Utica, New York, in his car and, according to police, posted photos of the body to Instagram, 4chan, and Discord. A spokesperson for the Utica Police Department told BuzzFeed News that Clark was also pointing sorry, posting photos to Instagram stories as officers held him at gunpoint. According to Utica police, the couple had just attended a concert together and were in a relationship. One of the rumors we're hearing is that there was a stalk this was a stalking incident, the spokesperson said. She met with him willingly. After the attack, Clark allegedly logged onto the Discord server under his username, Apparatia, and posted a photo of Devin's body writing, sorry, Efforts, you're going to have to find somebody else to orbit. So, I mean, I think that statement, which was copied on Discord, kind of f fed into this whole idea like, oh, yeah, so he was an orbiter trying to go after the other orbiters by killing her, and that that's just not what's happening. So, I think then thinking about this after learning a little bit more about her, and I was actually lucky enough to talk to some of the people who knew her while she was alive, um, just, just online. Um, and it seems like she was definitely very much loved, going to be missed. It, it seems that when people really caught on to the story, I think a lot of the frustrations they were taking out and all of those things they were saying about her, I'm not saying that 
she was perfect. Nobody is. But a lot of people in an age where Belle Delphine is selling her bathwater have yeah. this resentment against any type of e-girl or e-thought or influencer. That just boggles my mind, too. People get mad at that because it's like they exist because people buy their products well, that's- because they garner attention. It's like, do you have no either self-respect or ability to, to just not give into that kind of thing? Like, why do you hate them as much as you do? Well, that's the thing. I mean. Them. I think a lot of people paint it as they're taking advantage of men, like these young girls with their their Instagram accounts. They're taking advantage of men. And it's like, dude, like these men who want to give someone like Belle Delphine money, they're they're adults. They can do whatever they want. Right. It's not like, yeah, it's like you, you have the ability to not give her money. Yeah. Like it's really that simple. But if you do it because you want to, okay, that's, I won't, I won't judge, you know. It's kind of weird to buy someone's bathwater, but like ultimately- you do you like I there are a lot of criticisms I could give to the situation but her taking advantage yeah. of these guys is not one of them I think that's the problem that I had was the was this kind of unspoken idea that the 17 year old was taking advantage of men's sexual attention sort of and that's yeah why she and, and, and that's, that's why she got that's yeah. why she got mad murdered and that's also why she had it coming it's yes like, that, that's what really bothered me about the whole situation of this yeah. all. I just find that such a weak excuse yeah, it's such a weak, weak excuse yeah. especially it's like I don't know people I don't think enough attention is given to the fact that she was 17 that is so young yeah. like that's unbelievably young and to i mean the, a lot of the angry comments that i've been reading about this thing they're bringing up oh well she did this she did this blah 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 it's like she was 17 end of story and besides yeah. i think yeah. a lot of the things people are saying about her are simply not true and can you imagine you're like you're someone's you're her one of her friends or her family member and you're kind of you're grieving you're shocked you've perhaps even if you're one of the people on that server seen those awful photos and then now you have all these people talking crap about your friend maybe even making things up about them it's heartbreaking yeah that'd be really tragic honestly it's yeah a, it's a really sad situation all in all and uh i mean it's one of these uh like other inserts that we have it's, it's from rolling stone i just wanted to bring this up because uh, Belle Delphine, like this kind of almost internet culture, it, it's it's spread over to real life now. Like this is an article of Rolling Stone. Belle Delphine, a.k.a. Bathwater Gamer Girl, the greatest troll on the internet. Um, so yeah, Belle Delphine is 19, which is still super young. She has her Patreon. Um, people can pledge up to $2,500 per month. And then we have some pictures of her with the infamous water. Um, strange that someone who looks so young has caused such a controversy, but... Like, we do now have this weird fascination and hatred toward these e-girls. And I think we're we're, we're going to jump at anything that says, oh, maybe one of them got their just desserts, even if that, A, there's no such thing as, like, a beheading or murder being just desserts, never okay, and B, doesn't even seem like it applied in this situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I just, if, if you're, I guess, watching this and you knew her, definitely, I've been reading a lot of the stories about uh, the kind of person she actually was from her friends and family. And, um, you know, it seems like she was interested in art. She had just graduated. She was supposed to start college in the fall, I think it is. Uh, just all around a sad story. And even though this is not, it, it ended up really not being case of a stranger coming, but it was just a reminder of me that, okay, everybody just be safe. Even even though that's not ended up mm-hmm. what the story was. That's why you got those strategic boxing announcements and such, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so our next story, this one is a little bit of a lighter one. Uh, PC culture in Hollywood. This is an issue we've talked about quite a bit. Um, Black Ariel was announced earlier. Oh, yeah. uh, I kept thinking it was Halle Berry I kept seeing, but I thought it was just another younger actress named Halle 
Berry. It's Halle Bailey. Oh, I, I thought the same thing. I said that. Yeah. Though, so yeah, I thought it was Halle Berry. And I, I, was like, I thought. Oh, I thought. Oh, but not that Halle Berry. No, her yeah. name is Halle Bailey. She's a totally mm. different person. She's a young girl. Um, she's cute. Uh, she was announced, and I think a lot of people were trying, especially the media, were trying to make out that there was all of this outrage about it. Mm. Um, the thing is, there really wasn't. I think most people either didn't care or there there was some annoyance at the double standard, seeing that you can always like, you can blackwash something, but yeah, you can't whitewash absolutely. something. Yeah, yeah. Th- yeah. That's kind of my position. Like, ultimately, I don't care if Ariel is black. I, I don't know this actress, but I'm sure she's going to do a good job. Disney's pretty usually careful about who they cast. But what I find frustrating is that there seems to be a little bit of hypocrisy going on. Um, you can only make things more diverse you can't make exactly. things less diverse. it is literally the diversity argument where just you have to make things less white particularly less white less male less, less christian straight like yeah. you just get like that whole thing less so, able-bodied that's also one yeah. Yeah. yeah um so there was that almost almost a non-controversy i didn't think it was make worth making an entire video about but the whole the black aerial thing has to some extent been an example of how some people will just never be happy with mm. what the amount of diversity you're trying to give with them. Um, there's this tweet that got a surprising amount of attention. That's how it popped up in my my timeline um, by Nerdy POC. So the, for backstory, apparently the person who we think is going to play Prince Eric is Harry Styles from One Direction, who's white. All right. So keep that in mind. Uh, this person tweets out. So the premise of The Little Mermaid is now black woman gives up her voice to a white woman all for the love of a white man. Trash. Like. So the interspecies thing between mer- merfolk and human, like we're not even going to touch on that. This is now like a intersectional race everything is. allegory. Yeah, everything is. Um, I'm actually more upset about the whole Harry Styles thing than I am for any particular racial element just because I really don't like him. And I think like you look to me more like Prince Eric should look, especially with the oh, hair shucks. like that, um, than Harry Styles. Never been a fan Hopefully he's better at benching than me. Yes. Although, from what I remember him looking like, no. He's one of the One Direction kids. I say oh, kid. Style. I thought you meant that Prince Eric. You no, know. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the first woke thing we had going on in Hollywood recently. The next thing is that, and I love how this is like every few days, you, you find out going online that some character you grew up with is actually a like trans black woman or, or some variation of that. Um, it was also recently announced that the next 007, after Daniel Craig is going to be a strong, independent black woman, who I am assuming don't need no man. So I was pretty down for Idris Elba, um, but I, I admit that I'm someone who, I, I wasn't really a huge fan of the old movies, and I didn't, I think it started off as a book, as books. I don't James know. Bond. Honestly, yeah, I'm so, not a huge James Bond geek. Yeah, I didn't so like I'm, the I'm Idris Elba either. thing personally. That was my stance on well, it. Well, so the, the way I see James Bond is that he's just some random action hero. So with with that well, in like mind, a, a British suave gentleman or whatever I think is yeah, what it is. So, or and, whatever. And but, Elba theoretically fits those parameters, yeah, so right? But for, to me, for all of the emotional investment I had in James Bond, Idris Elba would have been fine. But I know that like someone like your dad, he was telling me like it started off as like this World War II thing. He was a covert thing, and there's all there's a lot of history behind James Bond. Of course, that, yeah. 
from that perspective, maybe Idris Elba wouldn't have been the smartest choice, but still, I, but, I, but even then to me, it just has to go with that diversity thing where it's, we're just giving in to like, okay, we could just remove all white men from Hollywood now. And well, that's, so that's, that's where I was just like, no, I, I don't care. I, I don't care if he's the best fit on the planet for it. I'm just tired of this stuff. Yeah. I'm just tired of the propaganda. That's all. Not and that I would watch it either way, frankly. But so, <laughs> well, yeah, cause you, you're at the point where you don't even watch. I don't watch Hollywood anymore. movies, you know, I don't, especially paying to be propagandized. That's yeah. mind boggling to me. It's like, why would I do that ever? So yeah. yeah, I'm never going to the movie. Very either. critical movie watcher here, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, but it means I can't go to the movies with him. But so, yeah. So I, at first, Idris Elba was who was yes. floating around. They were testing the waters with that. A lot of people were like, yeah, that's fine. I think even Ben Shapiro was like, yeah, Idris Elba sounds good. But mm-hmm. the announcement that came out is that not only will it, yes, be a black person, but it's actually going to be a black woman. So from my understanding, in the next movie, they're going to be retiring. Like James Bond will be retiring and he'll be passing on the moniker the 007 designation to a new character who will be this black woman yes so i don't have a problem with a black action hero but like my question is if it's going to be a new character anyway why not just make it a new franchise why oh, no like, because why well, do you they have want to... it to be steep with the symbolism they want it to slap you in the face the new britain's ethnic yeah. Uh, minority women are going to inherit the mantelpiece of the white patriarchy and and they're the empowered ones now. Yeah, it just, it, it feels so wrong to me because, again, imagine if this were going the other way, it would never happen. And what's so confusing is that, like, the media often likes to tout the success of all of these, like, diverse films. And I say diverse in quotes if you're not watching in the video format because uh, there's nothing diverse about not having white people. Like, that's, no. not, that's not diverse. Uh, like, Black Panther, Crazy Rich Asian, Asians, not necessarily bad movies. I, I quite liked, especially Crazy Rich Asians, but they're not diverse. They're actually very monoracial, more monoracial than most mm-hmm. movies now. But anyway, people make a big, big fuss when these movies do well. They're saying like, see, it pays to be diverse. So it's like, okay, fine. Then if it pays to be diverse so well, why do you have to take existing franchises and change them, right? Why not just make your own? Because I think the only reason why I could say, oh, we have to do this existing one and take up the 007 franchise is because you you need that like existing fan appeal. To, to reach an audience that you maybe wouldn't yeah, already. Agree. But it's you're saying that you don't even need that. So why why do that? Why not just go your own way? Um, so, and I think the, the next thing that's diverse about James Bond, because apparently that whole franchise is going to hell. Okay, up on, we have an insert. Meet the new writers of James Bond 007, Vita Ayala and Danny Lore. Uh, so they're make, this is a comic, a James Bond comic they're going to come out with. And of course, comics right now are famously intersectional oh and yeah so i, I they have hillary clinton some of them like yeah, superhero comics they have an aoc comic so if you're not watching the video version of this on screen right now are two okay let me put it this way looking at these two individuals i would assume that they would hate my politics yes. is the most pc way i can frame it i've read that they are both non non-binary individuals of color Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, well, they're both obviously non-white, but I, I have heard that they're non-binary. And it's just, why? Like, I mean, maybe these two are just huge, huge fans of 007 and they really want to um, keep up the legacy and stuff like that. But I'm at a point where I just don't give these studios, these publishers any type of benefit of the doubt no, that they're going to keep i don't know what the shows originally were so and it's it's gotten so bad now that we also had sharp oh, sorry not i almost said charlie's there on there all these actresses are very similar to me but it's scarlett johansson scarjo um she recently got in a ton of crap because she kind of said 
that hey i should be able to play whoever i want yeah well that's that's that starts after the backlash over about a year ago when she was going to play that trans man in, mm-hmm. in i forget what the film was called but she was yeah, yeah it didn't end up getting made it didn't end up getting made because there was all this backlash about having her as the main actress but without her as the main actress then there was like there's no draw, there draw, wasn't enough yeah. money behind it and uh the movie never got made yeah which is but, so much more yeah of course so much well, more better if you're someone who advocates for like trans representation just now there's no money for this trans story which would have been i think kind of almost one of the first instances of like telling a trans person's life from the like one of those early area eras where this was just becoming accepted i think it was supposed to take place in the 60s or the 70s something like that something yeah. like that um so here's what vox has to say about it um In the August issue of the Arts and Culture magazine, as if Johansson discussed what she finds to be a discomforting trend in casting, one that encourages routine interrogation of who can play what types of roles and advocates for diversity and inclusion both on screen and off. Today, there's a lot of emphasis and conversation about what acting is and who we want to see represent ourselves on screen. Uh, She told interviewer and artist David Sal in the article published July 11th. The question is, what is acting anyway? This is a point we've made ourselves. Like, is this supposed to be acting or what? Johansson then proceeded to answer her own question. You know, as an actor, I should be able to play any person or any tree or any animal because that is my job and the requirements of my job. Johansson also seemed to allude to backlash over her own role choices in the past. I feel like political correctness is a trend in my business and it needs to happen for various social reasons, yet there are times it does get uncomfortable when it affects the art because I feel art should be free of restrictions. And this is something that I completely agree with. And like Scarlett Johansson from everything I know, like she's not some like secret Ben Shapiro supporter or anything like that. I think she's still a raging Hollywood liberal. I think she does actually believe that political correctness is is something that needs to happen for various social reasons, which is, I think... She also got in trouble for the whole ghost in the shell thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because she replaced an Asian woman's role, right? Yeah, supposedly. But I mean, from what I know about it, the the role she was playing wasn't even necessarily... She was a cyborg, so it wasn't even necessarily... Yeah, but no, 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 no. Yeah. No. You just have to be outraged. Um, yeah, so a- after that kind of statement came out, and I think she did end up saying like, no, but I, I do recognize that you know, white cisgendered people still get a disproportionate amount of roles. And she did her best to be as, I think, placating as she could be. But ultimately, you're dealing with people who are unreasonable. Yeah. Uh, we have an example of that. Um CBR, the this article, no, Scarlett Johansson shouldn't be able to play every role. Uh, this person writes, people of color have historically been sidelined or removed from their own stories. The few roles best suited for these actors have often been taken away from them. This is not the same as when a straight cis white character is race changed, which offers an actor not typically cast in such roles a chance for a meaty complex job. There's no reverse whitewashing. After years of acting jobs being handed to people who don't resemble the characters they're hired to portray, actors of color, queer actors, and trans actors are tired. They want these roles back. Now... So they just admitted what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Like you can you can re- only replace white people. One you way. can't replace other people. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just has to do with that whole sick idea of like group guilt and and white people having all this power, especially within Hollywood and what yeah. have you. So and I mean I it's trash. I'm very critical, like you right now, of I guess things that are happening in film and messages that are being told. But ultimately, I still love cinema. I still love television. I'm a huge movie fan, and I'm not against like black people stories being told gay stories, like whatever i'm just like for more stories all around because i think there are good stories to be told from all walks of life but i just think it should be about adding i wonder if hollywood voices. would make one 
<laughs> you know, that'd be nice. I haven't seen a good movie since like 15 years ago almost. You liked A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place was a good one. That's true. Yeah. There are a few There are like a few nuggets every now and again. And even A Quiet Place had some plot holes and stuff. But it was an enjoyable movie as a whole. Yeah. It was enjoyable. But it, it, it is but. harder. And I think the art suffers when you put like propaganda above good storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we even had the whole Chris Pratt thing. He wasn't in yeah. the movie, but now people are mad because he was just wearing Gadsden flag. Just yeah. walking around. The I American don't know. flag with a little snake on it, right? That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's so like the don't, whole don't, don't tread, tread on, on me. me. That thing. Um, um, which is apparently, what is it? Uh, white supremacy? It's white supremacist. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's just it's just frustrating because like I, I love TV shows and movies and I just wish I was able to watch stuff without knowing that I'm being, like you said, propagandized. Yeah. See, that's the thing is, is I'm lucky because I don't particularly need them in my yeah, life. But I like you know? it. So I, I like a good movie. I do. But I'm not like someone that's like, wow, I'm so sad that all these movies are bad. It's just like, well, I, I don't have to take up my time watching them anymore. Yeah. But so, I think I think more I and more like people are going to become like you and get frustrated and stop watching. And then Hollywood is going to suffer. And then maybe that ultimately will be the only way that they change things when they realize like, oh, people yeah. don't want to give us $15 to come, I don't know, be preached at. Yeah, well, it is fascinating to me because you see like these two big groups, the mainstream media in terms of the news media and Hollywood, really trying together almost to control a narrative and push it on all these people. And it's fascinating to me to see to what degree it's working or not working right yeah. now. Yeah, you know? I think I think for younger audiences, it works pretty dang well. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, it's not too late for. <laughs> yeah, know, I don't know. It's a little bit of a black. We'll we'll see <laughs> we'll see how things end up going, um, and then and our next story before we get to the interview. Sorry guys, it's going to be in like ten minutes. Michael Malice, his words of wisdoms are, are, are wisdom are coming. Um, trans protections. We're going to talk about this. Lindsay Shepard, who's we've been on the show, we've had her on the show, or at least we did back when it was uncensored. Correct. Uh, you know, I'm subscribed to her channel, like her commentary, like her work. She recently got banned from Twitter, permanently banned, not just suspended. Mm. From what I can gather, it's a permanent banned. Here's what the post-millennial has to say about the incident. Uh, one of Canada's most outspoken free speech advocates, Lindsay Shepard, has been permanently suspended from Twitter. The suspension, the suspension comes after a jousting match with a notorious trans woman named... Um, I think it's Jessica Yates, or it just says JY, JY, who has been accused of predatory behavior toward children and making frivolous human rights complaints. Postmillennial reached out to Shepard, who said, I got suspended for two tweets, although they didn't tell me exactly which tweets were the problem, so I'm giving my best guess. Last night, JY tweeted that I have a loose vagina from pushing a 10-pound baby out, but he still has a tight uh, word that also refers to cats. In reality, J.Y. Shepard continues still has male genitalia, according to the proceedings of the current human rights tribunals he's been testifying in. And in reality, I had a C-section and a six pound, 10 ounce baby. I replied that this is something a man who has no functional romantic relationships with women would say, but that I guess that describes him pretty well. Then Yaniv, that's the last name, Yaniv, mocked a reproductive abnormality I have, a separate uterus, a septate uterus. And so I replied saying, at least I have a uterus, you fat, ugly man. You gotta be pretty ballsy to say this stuff on Twitter nowadays. Yeah. Um, I thought I can't allow him to make these misogynistic remarks about me and not fight back. I deleted the comments I made this morning, but found out I was suspended in the afternoon. 
Uh, Shepard, who is also a columnist for the Postmillennial, told us that she is concerned about her inability to respond to mistruths now that she's banned from the platform. Well, I am most concerned about the lies that can now be spread that I cannot counteract via Twitter. Uh, so yeah, it's worth noting, and the article kind of alluded to this, that the person, I don't even, the I, I don't know if I'm going to get banned from YouTube for using the wrong pronoun now, but the person that Lindsay got into it, if you used to follow her on Twitter, it was at New World Homonym. I, I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, this person is someone who has had questionable behavior in the past with minors in like female bathrooms. Keep in mind, this is a biological male. And this is someone who is also kind of taking from what I understand, like, salons to court for refusing to give Brazilians, Brazilian waxes, that's, like, everything there, uh, on male genitalia. So uh, a lot of people, and I think Lindsay is definitely in this camp, that's why if you follow her, you know she's been very critical of this individual, are saying that, like, this isn't trans or whatever, this is just flat-out predatory behavior. This is someone who's acting absolutely in bad faith to game the system. Mm -hmm. um, so... As far as I know, and I think this is right, nothing has happened to Yaniv. Yaniv's account is still in good standing, which to me is such a huge double standard because I think Lindsay is right. I think the comments that were said to her were absolutely sexist, like for well, sure. Well, they are definitely foul. Like, uh, you know, if, yeah, foul. I, I mean, I personally would never, ever, ever have bid on that. You, like it's such obvious troll baiting to me. It's really well, what it's, you say, yeah. Or yeah, what, what, they what, what is, the saying. JY was saying, yeah, was obviously a, a bait, you know. And but I think that regardless of whether it was a bait or not, I think it's fair to say that it was sexist. Sure. And if Twitter yeah. is going to claim to be a platform that protects against hate speech, I would say that misogynistic comments should count for that. So then, if Lindsay has her account gone for being like transphobic, why mm. doesn't JY have their account suspended for being sexist? No, I, I agree with you. And, and the Twitter response would probably be something about like the hierarchy, the hierarchy of, uh, yeah, of oppression, exactly. right? Like women are more privileged than trans women. Yeah, it's so. it's pretty crazy. And what's weird to me is that there's this huge push now to not necessarily protect trans people because I think that trans people, like any other person, they should all have the same rights as I do, right? Same rights, same protections. Um, but what's weird is that now we're at a point where there's this need to protect this ideology, this whole gender critical trans whatever ideology, not necessarily even the people. Um, because I'm sure like, I don't think these people, people like JY or Twitter would have a problem going after Blair White. So I don't think it's necessarily about just protecting trans people. I think it's right. about protecting uh, their ideology and case in point, if people ever question whether the left is going to eat itself, absolutely it is. Uh, the, the leader of the head of Planned Parenthood. It was recently announced that she was let go from the position. And people, there's a there's an article from BuzzFeed that was kind of talking about why it seems like there's a bunch of things that went into this decision. Overall, that this person just wasn't uh, almost progressive enough. But one of the things that is mentioned by some of the people who were working in the situation was that she didn't really want to toe the line, it looks like, that men can get pregnant. Uh, this is what BuzzFeed reports on this. And I don't really like using BuzzFeed, but for stuff like this, I feel like they are kind of a good source. Um, yeah, they write, Planned Parenthood president, it's a tongue twister, Liana Wen, the first physician to head the women's health care group in 50 years, said she was removed from her position by the organization's board at a secret meeting, capping months of internal concerns over her management style and a perceived shift away from the group's political work. Wen attributed her departure to philosophical differences... 
Uh, over the direction and future of Planned Parenthood, she said in a tweet on Tuesday. I believe that the best way to protect abortion care is to be clear that it is not a political issue, but a health care one, when wrote in a statement about her sudden termination. And then the BuzzFeed article continues that two sources told BuzzFeed News that when also refused to use trans-inclusive language, for example, saying people instead of women, and telling staff that she believed talking about transgender issues would, quote, isolate people in the Midwest. Um, so from everything I know about Wen, and by the way, she is a woman of color. She's a woman of Asian background who is also a doctor. Um, it kind of seems in at least some ways, I'm sure there's more to the situation than this, but part of it was that she didn't want to bend the knee when it came to the whole idea that men can get pregnant. Would you say, con I mean, it still does confuse me. A while ago, I was giving that talk at, um, gosh, Lafayette College. And uh, it was a very hostile talk, not a lot of fans in, or supporters in, in that avenue, but one of the girls, individuals, whatever, who was there, she was attacking me, um, saying that I, I wanted to like prevent abortion access from to, to queer people or something like that. I had never spoken about the issue of abortion when I was there, but she just kind of like she she felt that I wanted to prevent queer people from getting access to abortion and to me, trying to insert queer and trans stuff into the issue of pregnancy is really strange, right? Because ultimately, if we're not talking about like IVF or whatever, the way pregnancy happens is heterosexual sex. That's the only way, right? There's got to be like peen going into vagine, yeah, like biological they, they male, that. biological female. Yeah, but they're they're on such a different planet. They deny that anything with a uterus is necessarily female. Yeah, so right? it's like so, a, a pregnancy can theoretically result from queer trans sex. Yeah, I mean we're talking about like a make believe system. Yeah, so it, it's it's so hard to just even have a conversation about it. It's like we're trying to have a logical discussion about I don't know fairy tales. Yeah, and, and like let, just never never land. We can't. We can't. It's, it's ridiculous to almost even talk about this subject, but this is what they genuinely believe in. But then, I mean, for people, I almost feel bad for people like when the Planned Parenthood former president, even though I'm certainly no supporter of hers, like if you actually do care about this issue as like a woman's health issue, now you're getting told that no, 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 it's not a woman's health issue. It's like, And it's kind of like that meme that's going around with the person yeah. who's like spray or sorry, pepper spray in front of her and then she runs into it. Like, ah, like if if, a, if men would have abortions, then they would be legal, but also men do have and can get pregnant. So it's like, you you can't really have it both ways. And again, like this, this isn't meant to be anti-trans or anything like that. It's just, it's, it is strange to me how it's becoming a protected class above anything else we've seen. Like it's, it's no longer being a woman is like the, the get out of jail free card now it seems like we've gone up a, a notch in the oppression hierarchy and uh, what's you know this whole gender ideology it's very closely tied with intersectionality i don't think you can have one without the other and what i've noticed is that people who i'm guessing would kind of subscribe to the idea that men can get pregnant um probably look down on eurocentrism that's a pretty safe assumption right i would say so yeah um this whole the trans thing, though, is extremely Eurocentric, right? We are having conversations about gender that no other like non-Western country is having, right? This is completely a Western first world fabrication. Oh, yeah. And I know people in response to that, like, oh, no, there's this, uh, you know, such and such tribe in, you know, 
Papua New Guinea, and they've actually been displayed of having a, a third or even fourth gender and this and such sign of gender fluidity. Like, come on. Like, this is new. This is some fourth wave feminism crazy nonsense. And actually, there was a there was a story that was posted to Reddit that I think for at least some people should serve as a reminder of how Western and Eurocentric this this ideology is. For anyone who hasn't been on Reddit, there's this subreddit, this group of Reddit called Am I the A-Hole? And so pretty much it's just people posting stories that happened to them asking like, was I the jerk in the situation? Yes or no? Because sometimes we do have those situations where it's like, I feel like I was acting justified. My friends or family are telling me not though. So it's good sometimes to get a second, third, or even hundredth opinion because it's the internet. Um, This story caught my eye. Um, This person writes, I am a 20-year-old girl. I am in Japan on exchange with some friends of mine. Most of my friend group are women, including a 21-year-old trans woman. She was born a male and started transitioning in her teens. And they also mentioned that she is currently pre-op, so that means that the male genitalia is still there. Um, Anyways, she continues, yesterday night, a bunch of girls, five or so from my classes, decided to go to a nearby onsen, a Japanese bathhouse. Basically, you are expected to get completely naked. Everything is gender segregated. There is a separate men's section and women's section. My friend, who is trans, also wanted to go, so we all went as a group. Um, Everyone, sorry, but I think everyone was uncomfortable talking about the issue of being naked in the bathhouse. Finally, when we were in the changing rooms, I quietly suggested to her that she should probably wrap a towel around her hips instead of going completely naked. She asked me why, and I told her that many of the bathers would probably be a bit alarmed to see male genitalia in the bathhouse. She got mad at me and said sarcastically, thanks for your concern. In the end, she opted for the towel, but another friend overheard and said I was out of line for suggesting it. They both thought it was none of my business. I explained that not everyone is so accepting of her body and that I'm just trying to protect her from comments, stares, or worse. They avoided me in the bathhouse after that, although my friend did wear a towel around her waist the whole time. There were some looks, but not as bad as if she didn't wear a towel. I apologized afterwards to my friend, my trans friend and said I meant no disrespect, but still she seemed mad at me and is telling people that I am transphobic, although I do not believe I am. A-I-T-A, am I the a-hole? So... Most of the comments, almost all of them really from that story were saying that, no, this person, this girl is not a jerk for suggesting it. But I just think it's kind of strange that it would even come up that she had done something inappropriate because it's completely true. Like, have I haven't been to Japan specifically before, but having grown up in Asia... Um, I would have loved to witness just to be around when the, the yelling begins. Well, that's what, that, that's what people in the comments were saying, people who were... Uh, had experience in Japan, even like, yeah, I, I used to live in Japan. Um, they would have had the staff called, perhaps, perhaps even the police would have been called. This, They've got a 97% conviction rate or something like that in Japan too. Really? Wow. Right? Yeah. So this isn't like, I, I don't, you know, I would never want this girl who was pre-op to be embarrassed. And I think that the friend did something good and trying to like, kind of go to her privately and talk about this, but no, like you, like these other women haven't consented to see male genitalia regardless of whether you are a trans woman or not like the hardware you're working with is undoubtedly male genitalia so it's just it's strange to me yeah. that this even needs to be said we're like also it's also just time. disrespectful of the trans person to go into a different country that has different customs 
And, well, yeah, that's, and, I mean, that's another question her... of, like, oppression hierarchy. Is she, are they being transphobic or is she being Eurocentric for forcing a non-Western country to conform to our Western ideals of what gender is and is not? Yeah, I mean, I think their argument would change if you're looking at either Japan or the Middle East, right? Because yeah. you go to the Middle East and they're a protected kind of group. Where, exactly. of course, well, they have, of course, it's, it's Islam. It's, they just love God. Yeah. But, but in Japan, no, they're probably very uh, transphobic instead. So. <laughs> yeah, because they're they're like, Asians are white sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Depending on what we're talking about here. Uh, but yeah, so this story is disappointing. I really enjoyed b- being able to see Lindsay Shepard's tweets and commentary on Twitter, um, she picked a fight apparently with the wrong protected class. The person who made sexist comments toward her still very much tweeting away and uh, apparently trying to force women to wax her male genitalia. This is just, it's, it's a d- disappointing turn of events, but I don't see it changing anytime soon. But with that being said, I think we're going to get onto the Michael Malice interview. Like I said, this is pre-recorded, as you'll see, we're different part of the studio. Uh, But if you are watching this live, be sure to stay on the stream afterwards. The interview is like 30 minutes. And uh, when we get back from that, we are going to be answering your questions and answers through the Super Chats. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in with me. I have Michael Malice. It's, it's weird when I have people in studio because we're, we're up in Canada, for anyone who doesn't know, and so few people come to visit, so I always appreciate it. This oh, is I great. Love I love it here. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. You have a book about the new right, mm-hmm. right? So first thing that we should probably cover, what exactly is the new right? Because we're living in a time where a lot of phrases, terms get used different ways by different people. What do you see the term meaning? Sure, the corporate press does like to use terms inaccurately for specific purposes, you know, yeah. to kind of smear people with the same brush. Yeah. Uh, so the way I define it in my book, and I'm going to get the wording slightly wrong, I'm sure, is the new right is a loosely connected group of individuals united by their opposition to progressivism, which they perceive to be a thinly veiled secular religion uh, dedicated to egalitarian principles and world domination via globalist hegemony. Wow, that is like That's perfectly a, yeah, well, yeah. recited. Um, Thank you. So, when you talk about the new right, it seems like you don't really view them as having any coherent ideology. It's more just they all share the same enemy. Almost. Right. That's ex- that's pr- exactly correct. Now, if you listen to the corporate press, that everyone they're all agreement, they're all white supremacists, they're all white nationalists, which is nonsensical because, as anyone with two brain cells knows, any political movement is going to have infighting. Yeah. You're seeing it this week back in the states with Pelosi and AOC. You saw with Hillary versus Bernie. You saw Trump versus all the other candidates. This mm-hmm. is inevitable. So this movement, especially is defined by their opposition because within it you are going to have the alt-right which are the people driven by racism uh, and and race-based politics but you're also going to have the monarchists and you're going to have the anarchists and you're going to have the traditionalists the tradcons so basically the the new right are the people who are the unorthodox right wing Mm -hmm. Uh, and what they do agree on is the nature of progressivism and the danger it poses how would you see trump playing into all of this because i know that I mean, I kind of consider myself new right in some ways in that I, when it comes to the establishment conservatives, I'm like, Mitt Romney, Bill Crystal. I, I mean, tweet the bulwark all the time. Yeah, um, good. So <laughs> what, what would you say that Trump's role in all of this has been? Because I think for a lot of new right people, uh, maybe, let's say, like Will Chamberlain, Jack Posobiec, I don't want to label other people no, for themselves. Are. Yeah, yeah, they're in that um, group. You know, there's a lot of Trump support, but I think despite what the media says, when it comes to the actual alt-right, there's a lot of 
Trump opposition. So sure. how, how do you think he plays overall among the new right? Uh, I think there's certain things that they would agree that Trump does well. One yeah. is he is a wrecking ball. Two is he brings disrepute to the media uh, and he calls them out by name. Now, one of the big differences, I would say, between conservatives and the new right is how they look at the press. Do you think that the members of the press have a bias and they keep making these mistakes over and over and over for decades? Or do you regard them as having an agenda, in which case the news is secondary and promulgating a specific ideology and message is primary? Those are two different worldviews. And I think that if you know, people listening to this can decide which one of this they would fall for. And if you look at, you know, Bill Kristol and, and other members of the Bulwark, they bend over backwards to try to defend the press. Uh, mm -hmm. The press is not the end of people. What, what's interesting is they do this conflation. They, they say truly that you need a free press in a free society to make democracy work. But then they also defend the press that we have and every single mistake that they make. It's like, oh, you know, you shouldn't be attacking them. It's true that you need a good press to have a free functioning democracy. That doesn't mean that the press that we have here is uh, you know, totally free and that that's not a function of Trump calling them evil. So something else that the media does a lot in regard to the new right is they like to talk about radicalism and extremism, which I think is an important conversation to have. We talk about it uh, on our show, but in your opinion, are the Ben Shapiro's of the world, are they actually feeding into the growth of these extreme fringes of the new right? Is there like a cycle where like moment one, all of a sudden you're just innocently watching some Ben Shapiro and then boom, uh, like Jared Taylor happens? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say yes in oh, this really? sense. Everyone who is a crack smoker has tried <laughs> marijuana first, right? Yeah. So it's going to be a funnel. So there's going to be a certain subset. Now, the idea that if I smoke marijuana or alcohol, therefore, inevitably, I'm going to be a crack user is fallacious. Mm -hmm. But it would be very convenient for them to kind of make this case that, you know, the New York Times had this front and center article, A1 above the fold, a story of this kid who was radicalized by YouTube. They had all, you know, all these pictures and it's Ben Shapiro, Milton Friedman, you know, that crazy mm -hmm. right-wing alt-right Nazi. Um, and their article, which was anecdotal, which anyone will tell you an anecdote is not evidence of anything, is there was a kid in mm -hmm. West Virginia and he listened to Ben Shapiro and Ben Shapiro had him questioning some of what the press was telling him. And then he started listening to more videos and then he became a white nationalist and he goes, I don't like this. And he stopped being a white nationalist. Cool story, bro. <laughs> but like, um, what's, what's interesting about that story is we did a whole episode about it. Caleb Kane, the guy, he says himself that he was never actually a white nationalist. He just, uh, what is it? He got a Christian girlfriend, would argue with his liberal friends, but he was never actually like a white identitarian. So it's like, but were you even radicalized then by your own? There are, I have met people who've been radicalized. Yeah, sure, it does happen. You know, it does happen. Yeah, but it does the, happen. the point I always make is you take one red pill and not the whole bottle. So I like that. Ben Shapiro and people like him, uh, Milton Friedman actually is an example of this, makes you realize, wait a minute, I am being lied to. What I'm being presented as, as fact, is actually a bias or an agenda. And when you start questioning things, someone has to grab you by the collar and pull you back although you do end up all the way down the rabbit hole. So I think this is a phenomenon that does happen, but at the same time, it's it's just like the D.A.R.E. program in school. I don't know if you guys had that here, when the cop comes in and says 50% of people who try crack die the first time, everyone else becomes addicted immediately. You know, the government will lie to you and the press will lie to you about the nature of the government and the nature of the press itself. Uh, whenever any tragedy happens, uh, Andy Go, uh, you know, yeah. just happened to him. I tweeted out, it's really amazing that he has a brain hemorrhage, he's beaten in the streets, and the biggest victim here was Jim Acosta. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing how these people valorize themselves as firefighters, whereas meanwhile you have actual violence against an actual reporter 
And their immediate reaction for many of them was, well, he's not an actual reporter. Now is the time for you to be splitting hairs. Where are your priorities and where are your goals? Mm -hmm. And what's funny is that he, I mean, he's someone who's like, he's, uh, he's not white. He fits all of these like protected class boxes, but because of some of the work he's done, and they're painting him out to be an actual fascist. I saw some people sure. tweeting that unironically. It's really shocking. But regarding the whole, don't take the entire bottle of red pills. Like I think it's, I don't think the extremism or radicalization that a lot of people think is happening left on left and right in the age of the internet is as common as they they say it is, but it does happen from time to time. For the people who have, you know, they've started watching uh, maybe videos that will give them reasons why, hey, your life isn't perfect, here's why, here's the people you can blame. What's the best thing that can be done to kind of pull these people back? Because the way that we treat uh, extremists nowadays is that it's almost like people think they should literally just be shot in the street, get gotten rid of. No, they literally do think this. Yeah, but I mean, in the real world, we, we can't just do that, right? We, we have to live with these people, can't just kill them because of their beliefs. How do we bring them back? Is it even possible? Well, I, I think you are saying something that a lot of people would disagree with because I think the basis for certain types of, total, of progressivism is totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. And if these people had their druthers, they would, uh, they would be shooting people. Uh, and, and you could look what happens, the precursor to this, the Nazis and the Stalinist people, they weren't that different from you and I. We'd like to pretend that they had horns and were from another planet. They went home and played with their kids. The, I mean, these were human beings and that's what makes it much more dangerous and much more sinister. And if you see how people are getting kicked off social media, getting kicked off Facebook, getting kicked off PayPal, and their reaction is like, haha, good, that person isn't going to be sticking his neck out if populations are, there's knocks on the door and people are being vanished from their homes. It's like, well, you shouldn't have been a troublemaker. And I, you know, when I'm doing my work with North Korea, you see this mentality, yeah. how easy it is for people to turn their head when harm is being done to other human beings. As Andy, just most recent example, someone goes to the hospital with a brain hemorrhage and people are like, well, you know, you're, you're a fascist, you're a troublemaker. So how do you deal with this? The way I think, and the only way to deal with this is what caused them to get to this place, how to get them out is engagement. When you, you're Asian, I'm Jewish, when you are talking to people like this and saying, you know what, I agree with a lot of things you hate, the things you're being told are a lie, but you don't have to go all the way in this direction. Yeah. Let's sit and have a conversation here right away when people feel empathized with and heard, no matter where you're on the political spectrum, uh, they, it's a lot harder to become a radical. This is one of the ways gay rights happened. When more and more people came out and it's someone's uncle or someone neighbor, someone's neighbor, it's like, wait a minute. It humanizes them. Yeah, how are you going to be homophobic when it's like this is someone in your family? It, it, it comes very, very different. So I think the internet is a great mechanism to fight radicalization because it's that much easier to talk to someone who you know represents this something that you find abhorrent. You're like, okay, you know what? Maybe Lauren's an ass, but I'm not, she's not a monster. Yeah. So as long as someone has, you know, if you take them back to just, okay, dislike, right away, it's not radicalized. I mean, I would love to say that this is so obvious an explanation for people, but we're living in an era where everything you've just said, a lot of people would say, oh, you're advocating talking to literal Nazis. What are you? A literal Nazi, right. right? We're very much living in the time of guilt by association or like six degrees of Hitler, whatever you want to call it. So how do we begin to do that? Because we're actually talking about the literal radicals here, talking to them and trying to converse with them. People freak out nowadays if you try to do that with just regular conservatives. Yeah. Like it's it's almost impossible to do what you're advocating for without, as Andy has seen, 
I mean, get getting beaten up. Well, this is one that Weiss says globalist hegemony and world domination. So one of the elements of this, what I call the evangelical left, is the idea evangelical that, left. yeah, because it's oh, a church. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you don't speak to people outside the church. And this is something that happens to all fundamentalist faiths, right? And here's an example. For a long time, you hear, if you don't like it, go make your own network, go make your own Twitter. Roger Ailes made Fox. And now the fact that one network exists with a right of center point of view, not even radical, right of center, yeah. they can't have it, they want to do what they can to drive Fox off the airwaves. Mm -hmm. So there is nowhere you can go to escape from their point of view where you will be safe. So when you're saying, oh, you know, we live in this mindset, this is by design. Uh, the, the, the mainstream press and, and certain other aspects of the culture make it so that if you are talking to people outside of what is blue-pilled, what is presented as fact, you are a pariah and that is a dangerous place for you to be. I mean, it's public schools, for me, are the biggest mechanism for fighting critical thought in young people because the goal is to make you a good citizen, by which they mean someone who's obedient to what you're being told by the broader culture. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what's kind of compounding this problem nowadays with being unable to engage people with different points of views and even those who are actually radical is social media censorship. I've heard you talk about this before. I have a feeling we're going to have a little bit of disagreement sure. here. But nowadays, not only are we kind of socially um, cutting people off that don't conform to our worldview, and we see that we've had... Not what we, they. They, yes. Because you're not doing it, are you? No, I would I'm like to think not I would it. never. I would never do that. And there was the story of that guy who gave his friend, his Facebook friend, an ultimatum after she wore the MAGA hat. Hey, if you if you don't kind of denounce this ideology that comes along with this hat, we're not friends anymore. As she says, what, what are you, you crazy? It's a hat. So he kind of cut her off. I've seen texts from uh, daughters telling their their fathers, they can't have them in their lives anymore sure. unless they renounce Trump. Like this is, there are social implications to this, sure. but not only that, there are actually, I guess, real world implications where if you have the wrong point of view, your bank account might be shut down, yes. right? Uh, your business might be boycotted. If you're on social media, your social media presence will be snuffed out. Someone like Laura Loomer can't even use PayPal or Uber or Uber Eats, right? She can't do that because her viewpoint has been designated as harmful. So. Don't you see that as a very, very huge barrier to any sort of de-escalation politically? The fact that we have all of these institutions, oh. uh, private organizations, but still kind of reinforcing this mentality? Oh, I'm for escalation. <laughs> I want as much escalation as possible because I want peaceful self-segregation. Because I don't think there's any talking to these people by their own admission. Uh, if you are going to cut someone out of your life, it's not just cutting that guy. He didn't just cut his friend out of his life. And he's known her for many, many years, yeah. wearing the MAGA hat. He went and boasted about it on social media. So he, he used it as a point of pride. Look right. how virtuous I am. Right. So it's not just I'm doing this thing. I'm rallying the troops around me. And my ideology is more important than my friendship group. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with a fundamentalist faith, uh, you have to think of everything in terms of politics. In the 60s, there was this idea called the personal, the political. And the worldview, which is something you and I find hard to empathize with is that every aspect of your life, including who you sleep with, what books you read, what music you listen to, uh, who you talk to, what networks you watch, has to be politicized. This is not, it's institutionalized neurosis. It's a very disturbing way to live. Now, thanks to social media and things like the banks blocking people, we are seeing the mask drop. Because for many years, this was presented as normal. Everyone thinks this way. And as soon as you, as you point out 
there's lots of people who don't think this way. There's another way to be. And people are like, well, let me check this out. This is a big danger to this mindset, which insists on a monopoly of thought and control. It's so dystopian to me. We're living in an era where, I mean, we did a video about Sephora, their latest ad campaign, their makeup company and yeah. retailer. Um, it was all about transgender identity and ableism and representation. The one thing that they didn't talk about was actual makeup. Are we? Sneakers, they're politicized. The women's soccer, it's all politicized. It's frustrating for me because I would love to live in an era where I, I don't have to think like, oh, am I actually supporting a commie or whatever? Because it shouldn't it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't be part of every little thing that we do. So, But they will never give you that space. So what conservatives need to realize is you are dealing with an enemy who will never let you breathe. I have a chapter in my book where I talk about Gamergate. So even sci-fi movies... Uh, on Star Trek, they were excited there was finally a black Vulcan as if races are going to evolve identically on other planets. Yeah. Uh, there is a video game from the Middle Ages where they're complaining there aren't enough minorities in Western Europe in the yeah. Middle Ages. So when, when this is the mindset that you're dealing with, they will never let you escape and give you a moment's peace. And that is the first step for people to understand who they're dealing with. Well, Tim Poole, who, oh, yeah. his videos I watch a lot, he's actually, he's very pessimistic about the future and us being able to go get That's along. Tim he never smiles. That's, That's the problem. Yeah. He's got to lighten up cuts. <laughs> well, he, he he thinks we're actually heading to, toward like another civil war or, or an equivalent of that because things are getting so bad, the escalations and the tensions. I would love to think that's not true. But if it does happen, what would this segregation of ideologies look like? Would, would all the woke Americans move to Canada? The base Canadians move down? We separate that way. What would that even look like to a point where we can actually live peacefully? It wouldn't have to be a, a literal war. Uh, especially because one side has all the guns, right? So <laughs> wouldn't be much of a war. It wouldn't, very be, short it wouldn't be much of a war. But yeah. I think this is... This, that was not a threat to progressive. Yeah. Just so we're, no one can say anything. Uh, what, what I am just... I, I think more people on both sides are realizing uh, uh, it's not working out. Uh, let's get an amicable divorce. Uh, I, it was... I forget who it was earlier this week. I, um, I think it was Kamala Harris or AOC was yeah. saying there's... Oh, no, no. It was uh, uh, Rashida Tlaib. There's no talking to Trump supporters. You're not going to get to these people. And many people who are in the basket deplorables will look at someone on the left and be like, if you're for uh, um, free abortions for illegal immigrants, this is not a country that I want to be a part of. So uh, I don't know what it would look like, but thanks to social media, people are also taking their ideologies, respective ideologies, to their logical conclusions. It's really hard to stay in the center when you know people are arguing with you from both kind of ends and you know the center is not going to hold. And I, I think I'm an anarchist, so I think that's wonderful. Well, it's too bad for me because I look at how the United States was kind of originally designed and you have this amazing thing called states and each state can kind of pretty much, at least the way it was meant to be, do right. their own thing. So I think you know if, if California wants to open up the borders to illegals, give them all the healthcare and abortions they want, they should be able to do that. Sure. But then people, you know, in Alabama, Texas, whatever, should be able to say, that's not for us. We're going to do something different. But the thing with these people is that they won't let you do that thing different. Like, like you said, they're not going to give you the space to breathe. And that's what's so hard right now, because it, you, it's not even like we can live in the age of just live and let live because right. they won't let us do that. It's, it's really, I don't know if I, I, maybe I'm too plugged into the political news aspect of this and other people, they're just listening to us talk and they're thinking, what are you guys talking about? You know, things aren't that bad. Do, do you think that might be a little bit of what's going on? Like we're too involved into it and the average person living their everyday life doesn't notice 
the craziness that's happening I around I think them? the average person when it comes to politics is always largely irrelevant because they're not going to be the ones affecting change on a political level. I, like we were just talking about earlier with the Nazis, that yeah. average person one day is a member of the Weimar Republic and, and they're kind of a liberal Democrat. The next day they're singing Heil Hitler. So they are just going to follow what is presented them as acceptable, normal in any culture. Uh, it's the people who are the elites and the idea makers who are the ones who are going to be moving the needle. And there's been enormous blowback against the left from the right wing in the last five, six, uh, eight years. Trump being one of the consequences of this, but hardly the most major consequence of this. Yeah. I think the the battle is won when the average corporate uh, newspaper man is regarded exactly as people regard the average tobacco executive. Uh, that is what needs to happen, and I think that's increasingly happening. I think I think you're right, because when I first started doing my channel, I did videos about the media, media bias, media censorship. I would get a lot of comments saying that I'm crazy, conspiracy theorist, where's your tinfoil hat? But I think it's kind of getting to a point. And honestly, I think the Covington Catholic whole scenario was for a lot of people, maybe the first time if they're not really engaged in the political discussion, where they realized, oh, the media can lie, they have an agenda. And I think we're seeing that more and more trust in the media is just eroding completely. And you're talking about a technique that the corporate press uses to stifle dissent. And let me give you an example. Kevin Spacey was a conspiracy. Uh, Harvey Weinstein was a conspiracy. Bill Cosby was a conspiracy. Jeffrey Epstein was a conspiracy. These are four men, multiple predators. And it's not just they were shoplifters, okay? The, the, the crimes they were committing were just absolutely heinous, allegedly. And it, everyone knew. They all said, we all knew. That's a conspiracy. Here's something else conservatives don't like to hear. I talk about this in my book. The Constitution was a conspiracy. It was a group of the elite men who went into a room in Philadelphia, locked the door to revise the Articles of Confederation. And as soon as the door was locked, they go, we're just starting from scratch, right? They go, yeah, yeah. But we have to swear each other's secrecy, right? And that is exactly what happens. So conspiracy is a word that is used to stifle things that are not part of what is presented as fact. And here's another example. I had a friend who I was told was a 9-11 truther. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I talked to him. I go, are you a 9-11 truther? He goes, no, I think there's more to the story than we've been told. Now, given that pages have been redacted from the 9-11 report, what he said is indisputably true. But when you present it as that, you're a 9-11 truther and you basically think that George Bush did 9-11. So this is techniques that they use to make it so you can't question things that are presented as absurd as fact. And here's another example, Carpe Donctum, who's a great meme smith. He was just yeah, at the White meme House. Yeah, meme smith, I love that. He's great. Yeah. And he did the, uh, the video for my book. Um, when he made a video mocking Joe Biden's campaign announcement, and it was a video of Joe Biden sniffing himself, yeah. the New York Times, CNN, and several other outlets, respectable outlets, all referred to the video as doctored. Because obviously, if someone was looking at it with a straight face, they would think they would Joe Biden. They would think, Bi oh yeah, he's clearly like coddling himself. A yeah. clone, a twin, time traveler, one of those. The fact that they all used that specific idiosyncratic word is telling you that these organizations somehow are coordinating. And that is a conspiracy. Now, one of the most interesting things about your book and something I want to talk to you about definitely is you do, you do a chapter about democracy. The case against democracy. Yes. Yeah, so I'm someone who, I did a video a while ago about uh, democracy versus liberty. Yes. And I said that democracy isn't always a bad thing, I think, but it's not always a good thing. Right. And I said I would always, 100% of the time, choose liberty over democracy, and those things can be in fundamental conflict. Yes. What are, you, what are your views on democracy? I'll quote Peter Thiel, who said, I no longer believe democracy and liberty are compatible. So democracy is one of the few things that doesn't work not only in practice, but not even in theory. Mm -hmm. uh, so the traditional example of democracy, the purest form of democracy is town hall. 
Everyone from town gets together, has their point of view. Now, even in a town hall, someone is going to say how long everyone can speak, what the issues are going to be, uh, and, and pick people to speak. So even in the example of a town hall, you still have a hierarchy and an elite. So democracy is impractical in reality, and it is always used as a mechanism by the elites in order to further their agenda and what they want to happen. It's an ex post facto rationalization. For example, uh, Obamacare. You had the overwhelming Democratic Congress. Uh, they had the votes in, in the and all the polls. We don't want Obamacare. We don't want Obamacare. We don't want Obamacare. The Democrats voted for it, and, and you know many of them lost their seats anyway. So the idea that someone can represent you and that same person can represent you when it comes to taxes and abortion and foreign relations um, and school choice is very bizarre. Uh, the, we have when you go to the soda store, you can get how many kinds of Coke. Now you have to pick between two people. So one person is evil. But two people is freedom. This is something that is, does not make uh, a very much sense. And it's in, and being an anarchist, this is landline technology in a post cell phone world. The idea that I have to be locked into a polity with someone just because I'm physically close to them uh, makes very little sense. It makes much more sense for me to be locked into an organization with someone I agree with intellectually and culturally uh, than someone simply who's on the next block. Right, because I think democracy is often painted as this is the nice, the voluntary form of government, when really, I mean, if we look at like an, what an actual direct democracy would look like, I mean, if slavery might have been considered democracy if there were fewer black people than white people. Sure. There's nothing inherently freedom-loving about democracy. What if we look at the United States right now, and for anyone who thinks that this is radical conversation, we have to remember founding fathers were not in favor of just no, unabridged democracy, right? Not they at understood all. they were terrified of it. Yeah, they understood these problems, but what we see from the left now, the progressivism, is that there's an actual attempt and this is not just the fringe people, we're actually talking about people in government representatives, getting rid of the electoral college, which right. for a long time has been the system that's kind of held just unabashed democracy in check, and, right? You know, the Electoral College has been in place since Washington. And it's amazing how the same people who say that Trump's election is an unprecedented attack on, on institutions are now in favor of abolishing <laughs> the electoral, yeah. electoral court and also packing the Supreme Court, which has been this way for over like, like 140 years. Yeah. So it, it's it, w there's a great quote I have in my book from um, the author of, Dur uh, of Dune, where he goes, when I am weaker than you, I ask for freedom because that is according to your principles. When I'm stronger than you, I take away your freedom because that is according to my principles. So what people have to realize is when people are weak uh, and who are totalitarian, they will say what they need to say in order to get in power. But as soon as they get in power, they're going to lock that door and make sure you are never going to be in power again. And, and that, that is the, one of the big arguments against democracy is called the circulation of the elites, which is... Uh, the idea that Hillary Clinton will always have far more in common with George W. Bush than she will with some janitor who's a Democrat. Uh, and when you get rid of one elite, it's not like it's freedom. It's just going to be another elite taking its place. Mm -hmm. So we're talking you know, a little bit about conceptual theories here. Yeah. But in practice, if you're someone who's in the United States and you care about not having your rights subjected to the whims of the majority, uh, what do you think the, the rational thing to try and do is, right? Because, sure. I mean, in the United States, it's not a conspiracy theory to say that, you know, there's a lot of people coming in who are maybe giving voting rights, maybe not, who have maybe a different idea of what government should look like. People are literally talking about getting rid of the Electoral College. It's kind of seeming like the foundations of American government might be changing in a very large way very, very soon. What should the average American yeah. be I always say do? my rights are not up for discussion, let alone a vote. So the idea that, that you and I can sit down and you're going to be like, hey, uh, let's talk about your baby, Michael. N no. I 
I'm not talking about this with you. I'm not talking about the safety of my family. I'm not talking about my point of view and what I want to say. And I like you. I respect you as a person. So since we know each other, I'll listen to you. But if you're a stranger coming at my door, my neighbor, it's like, go away. This is not a conversation. So I think the biggest thing that I personally believe in is doing whatever is possible to delegitimize the political process and to bring disrepute onto politicians on a personal level. Because there's so much in our culture to have reverence for these uh, these politicians. They are basically members of a gang. So uh, it's also the hypocrisy you know you see in the press when Obama is taking selfies in the Oval Office. It's oh cool. My, it's he's trendy. cool. Oh my God, yeah. he's a millennial president. Now when Trump is tweeting from the Oval Office, Outrageous. this is unpresidential. Yeah. And it's fair. Ronald Reagan never tweeted from the Oval Office. So they, they <laughs> definitely have a point there. So uh, you have this kind of double standard, uh, which you can't help but expect because if someone is trying to get over, they're going to say what they need to say to get over. But the more it is pointed out that you are dealing with people who are in many ways nasty and nefarious, uh, the healthier it is, and the less people are going to expect politicians to be able to provide them with answers. Love it. So, Michael, for anyone who's watching who maybe isn't familiar with your stuff, where can they find you? Website, Twitter, YouTube? Uh, I am one of the big trolls on Twitter, yeah. uh, at Michael Malice. And if you spoil my trolls, I will have to block you. I am so jealous you got just your name for your handle. That's. You, I, but I my name's add, a lot pretty yeah, unique. I had to add a the to mine. There is a Lauren Chen who was like the first one at Lauren Chen. She hasn't tweeted in like eight years or something, but she still has the handle and it bothers me well, every day. Trump had to get real Donald Trump for that reason. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, maybe so, I should just like try to track her down, offer her some money for that handle. But, it bothers me. Well, you should be happy because Melissa Chen is not even verified. Oh, well, then in your face. I actually only recently got it. So, and it's funny, for people who aren't verified, you unverified plebs, uh, on Twitter... <laughs> That's you my have, word. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> you have a little section um, when you're verified of only notifications or mentions from other verified people. Yeah. And I knew that. And at first, when I got my check, I was like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out over here. I don't care what these other people say. Turns out, I don't know a lot of other verified people. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm still hanging with the, the unverified plebs yeah. right now, actually. Yeah, okay. And uh, you're on YouTube, too, as right? Yeah, my show, You're Welcome, is on Guest Digital and Nightshade on Compound Media. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you being in studio with us, and I hope to see you again sometime. Thank you, Lauren.